Hello, and welcome to Your Story Matters podcast. My name is Michaela Elizabeth, and I'm very excited that you're here. I am an Enneagram coach, avid crafter, bookstore wanderer, tea lover, and cake enthusiast. My hope for this podcast is that we will experience the power of storytelling and understand that we are the main characters in our own stories in order to break free from the false narrative that's been playing in our minds. I'll share from my life and I'll chat with friends about theirs on a variety of topics like relationships, Negram, seasons of life, and more. Your story matters, my story matters, and I'll continue to tell both. Today on the podcast, I have the absolute thrill of talking with the wonderful, enthusiastic Cheryl Knowlton. Cheryl is the CEO and Chief Energy Officer at Dynamic Productions, Inc., a certified women-owned company and consulting firm focused on helping people to go on a deep dive adventure into radical authenticity. She's a highly sought-after national speaker, trusted to deliver presentations and trainings that inspire teams and individuals to discover and uncover their own unique gifts and talents. Cheryl has been in the real estate industry since 1999 and has achieved numerous accomplishments in the field. She is a certified fascinant advisor, a certified Enneagram coach, and a certified speaking professional, CSP, which is the highest earned award bestowed by the National Speakers Association, held by fewer than 17% of all speakers. And y'all, she is here today. I am so honored. She is currently serving as the president of the Mountain West chapter of NSA and has authored three books. Cheryl is also the host of the popular podcast, Magnifying Brilliance. A California girl, Cheryl now lives in Utah with her husband, her 13 grandchildren, and her dog, Scooby-Doo. When she is not traveling and speaking, Cheryl can usually be found running another half marathon, she has completed 30, or enjoying the magic of a Disney theme park. Yes, she's a kid at heart. If you're lucky, you might even catch her doing both at the same time. This was such an energetic conversation. I cannot wait. So let's jump in. Here is my conversation with Cheryl. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Your Story Matters podcast. I am thrilled that you are here, and I'm even more thrilled to talk to my new friend, Cheryl, who is an Enneagram type seven. And I actually said we have to stop talking to hit record or else we would just start talking and never record. So, Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's so yeah. Fun. It's so fun. So, Cheryl, welcome to the podcast. As I said before, I'll say for the rest of our time together, I'm thrilled that you're here and I get to know you for the next however much time we spend together. So thanks for doing this. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for the invitation, Michaela. I'm so excited to be here. Anytime, anytime, anytime. So let's just kick it off with who is Cheryl? What is your story? And how did you find the Enneagram? Mm, wow, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> this is so, your time, go. <laughs> so Cheryl actually started out with a different name. I was, um, my biological parents were teenagers and unable to marry. There's a whole nother story to unpack there. 
Um, I was adopted by two of the most incredible angelic humans that have ever walked this earth. Um, and I was their only child. And for four and a half years, my life was perfect and glorious. And they were not wealthy by worldly standards. But oh my goodness, I had everything I could ever want. Love, time, energy, attention, fun, creativity, the full freedom of expression, and everything I did was perfect um, because they had they had tried to have me for 13 years, mm. and now here I am, and and everything was so glorious and wonderful, and and uh, as life will sometimes do um, through through all of us, a massive curveball. Um, shortly before my fifth birthday, my angel mother uh, became one herself. Mm. She had a brain tumor that um, went undetected and undiagnosed for way too long until it had fully metastasized in her body. And, and all of the uh, medical genius at, at uh, the best hospitals in San Francisco were unable to bring her back to us. And she passed away uh, just a few weeks before I turned five. My poor dad, bless his heart. He... Mm was totally undone, had no idea what to do, how to do it, didn't sign up for this. Um, sometimes that happens in life, right? Yep. Does it happen yep. that we thought, oh my word, how did I get here? And um, I just don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to navigate this. And so he um, he jumped back, uh, bless his heart, um, into the dating pool way, way, way too early by his own admission. And he, uh, he married the wrong woman also by his own admission. Um, mm. He married a woman that, that um, did not announce until after the nuptials that she absolutely detested children, wanted to send me back to the adoption agency like I was a puppy that didn't work out. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and then wanted to send me to boarding school in another state um, in Colorado. We were in the California Bay Area and nothing wrong with Colorado. I love Colorado. Some of my favorite people live in Colorado, but um, yeah, no, that was not something that he was prepared to to do or to, to deal with. And so they actually found a family that just lived right around the corner that somehow fortuitously um, they were looking to babysit one child and that one child became me. Um, I wound up living with that family. And so going from being an only child to being a middle child, I'm having a slightly older brother and a, um, a couple years older, like three and a half years older. And then a, a sister who was just a few weeks younger than I was oh, wow. and living with them during the week for nine and a half years. So I had the opportunity to be an only child uh, <laughs> on holidays and weekends. And then, and, and certainly with my grandparents on both sides, um, but then navigating being a middle child in a family that was mm. not my own. And mm. there were some feelings there. Uh, the mom was a wonderful tremendous beautiful human very beautiful loving mother figure to me the dad not so much i don't know that he really necessarily wanted me there um, oh, no. and and the the son had mixed emotions about me you know i mean who's this weird six-year-old girl living here now um but the daughter what she and i um we, we we were sisters in every sense of the word did chores together fell in love with, with cute boys together um watched shows together played together um homework together um all of it and and so it was because of all of that, those complicated childhood dynamics that really caused me to wonder as an adult, geez, who am I? 
who, who am I really? Um, and, and just really wonder about that. And, and that was a, that was an interesting question to ask as an adult, um, especially now that I was married, I had four beautiful daughters of my own trying to figure out who I am while raising four beautiful children who were trying to figure out who they are with all the ups and downs of childhood is, is a, is a unique situation. And then uh, another um, wham dinger that I did not see or expect. Um, I, after 14 and a half years in a highly abusive marriage, decided that enough was enough. And um, my ex-husband had bipolar disorder. And it's very difficult to be in a marriage to someone who has bipolar disorder and figure out who you are as well, because there's a lot of morphing, especially with my children involved, wanting and needing to protect them. And again, wondering who in the world am I? So it was after I married my sweetheart, my husband, Rick, of 21 years, that when more things were safe and calm, um, it's easier to fish in calm waters. When uh, when the ocean waves are choppy and the boat is about to capsize, it's not a good time to be sticking a pole in and trying to fish. Right. Yeah. So um, I, I discovered the Enneagram um, it was in September of 2019. I had found my biological family on my mother's side and had met mm. my sister. And wow. I mean, when we, when we talk about personality and nature versus nurture, holy cow, the fun that I've been able to have mm. you know, who I am and how I've come to, to love the, the colors and the makeup and the books and, you know, the, all the car choices that I have and then meeting my sister, Michelle, and realizing that I have a doppelganger. We look a lot alike. We, I mean, personality wise, we are different, but, um, and we buy all the same things. We look at our audibles and we buy all the same books for heaven's sake. And so <laughs> it, it was Michelle who introduced me to the Enneagram and, and I was absolutely mesmerized from the get-go. The first book that she introduced me to um, was The Road Back to You. And, and I listened to it all the way home on the plane from Dallas back to, to Salt Lake City. I had been there for a speaking event that I stayed um, an extra day so that she and I could hang out and have fun together. And what a life-changing decision that was for us to really be able to dive into the Enneagram together and, and, uh, and then that led me on a journey of reading. Oh my golly. I think my bookshelf now has at least 20 different Enneagram books. Some of them I have read three, four, five times. Um, and, and that led me to, um, wanting to dive deeper and to help others in a more cohesive way, rather than just recommending a book or two. Yeah. This is why I decided to uh, become a certified coach. And that happened January 3rd or 4th of, of this year. And, uh, and I've loved every second of it. And that was certainly not, not anything close to the end. I mean, that's like, you know, finishing one half marathon and then signing up for another one because it was so amazing. It's like Lay's potato chips. You can't just on. <laughs> Right. Um, and so I hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and it was through the journey of becoming a certified coach that I realized that all this time, all these years I have been mistyped, which, mm. you know, led me down some, some paths where I did not feel the full click of recognition 
um, especially of my core motivations. And it was when um, it was reading one of Beth and Jeff McCord's books that I, I thought, oh, oh my gosh, that, that is my core longing when I read the core longing for seven. And so I started to just open up my mind and my heart and get more curious and less judgmental about myself mm. and say, what's, what's really going on here? Um, and oh my goodness, it's been, uh, it's been the journey of a lifetime, literally, um, to, to get to the point where I now feel like I have a roadmap to understanding myself. I do have the roadmap back to me, which is mm-hmm. fabulous and fun and exciting and terrifying. And <laughs> there's more accountability now that I have the the awareness that I do. What a story. Oh my Lanta. I, I say that all the that time for too. like a second. You've lived it. I just heard it for the first time. Let me sit and process this for I, Wow. <laughs> Holy moly. So we talked about this just before we hit record in terms of what sparked landing on my type for me was the childhood message. Mm-hmm. And it's only in our adult life do we kind of find our Enneagram type because they really don't say type children because we're still growing and figuring it out but when you get to the point where you're like core longing type seven that's me looking back on childhood did any of it make sense through the lens of a type seven or did you still look at it through the lens of whatever the heck you had been mistyped as Oh, wow. Um, As I, the more I study, the more I see that I, that I see my whole life through the lens of the seven, especially my childhood, Um, especially when I was living with that other family, I'm able to look back at that whole experience, those nine and a half years now with adult and different eyes. But when I was there, Michaela, I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be with my dad and I didn't, I had no preconceived notion about his, his new wife. I I didn't care if she stuck around, um, as long as I got to be with my dad and that is all I wanted. And that was, that was the longing of my heart was to be with him and to do. And I thought that I could behave in such a way that, that I could make it possible. And little did I know he was crying himself to sleep every night because he was trying to figure out a way to navigate his demanding job, being a petroleum engineer for the Department of Energy, um, his entire career and the the demanding rigorous travel um, that, that that required of him going into to work in Oakland, California every day. Um, and and how to raise this this little child. And so he felt like it was in my best interest to stay with that family. And looking mm-hmm. at that through adult eyes, I see that. But little me, oh no, oh no, no, I did not want to be there. And so part of what I've learned about myself as a seven is that when something is uncomfortable or painful or difficult, you bet your sweet bippy, I, I escape. I escape yep. into one of two ways, into reading or into my imagination. And, yep. um, and I was very good at that. Um, playing with dolls and stuffed animals and creating all sorts of things and then and started writing and and you know there's lots of there's a lot of different ways to escape today that are far less healthy um grateful that social media and netflix was not around when i was in high school <laughs> i wouldn't have graduated that is a, there you go uh way there too you much go. distraction and and entertainment and fun but ultimately I didn't realize it because I didn't realize my type until just this last, you know, fourth quarter of 2022. Yeah. 
but I, I realized that naturally I took professionally what is painful and excruciating in the real estate industry, which has been my, my home and my world since 1999. And I take difficult, esoteric, painful, difficult, unpleasant topics, and I make them really fun. And that naturally mm. led to me becoming a national speaker. And um, years ago, that started... I don't even remember what, I mean, it really, really started with gusto in 2011 and, um, and I loved it. And it's so funny because meeting my birth mother, she can't even imagine for a moment that I'm a professional speaker because mm. her experience was that she was asked to give a presentation when she was in second grade and she was so nervous. She got up in front of her class and passed out from nervousness, hit her head on the desk, spent the rest of the day at the nurse and has never spoken publicly again. Oh my gosh. And so she yeah. can't even fathom. I wouldn't either. She can't like, how, why, what do you do? How, especially when we met and she just could not, she could not believe it. And so it naturally found its way into my work to take something horrible that mo makes most people feel like they'd rather shave their legs with a cheese grater than sit through it, but it's required, right? For, for licensees, um, right. mortgage and real estate to sit through this continuing education and to find a way to make it not only fun, but really memorable, enjoyable, and entertaining, which mm. was my seven coming out. Um, and yeah, so just recognizing that and leaning into it intentionally has been even more fun over the last few months. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Dynamite. So type sevens, they are all about the fun. If there's fun to be had, they will have it. If there's yeah. no fun to be found, they will find it. And you can bet your bottom dollar. It'll be the best experience you've ever had. Or create If they, if there's no fun to be had, they will create it. That is right. How has the journey of fun been for you? And then how is it also for others to experience it if it's not their first choice? Mm, that's, that's a, those are two great, great questions. My, I have a mindset coach. He is one of the dearest, most incredibly fabulous people in my whole life. And I, I, I am who I am and where I am today because of him. We've been working together for nearly two years. And when, when things get hard, um, I was, I was doing a half marathon last fall. It was my 30th. It, I thought, what in the world am I doing? This is absolutely insane. It was the, so steep. I had done it before and I knew how steep it was and I, everything hurt. And, and he, <laughs> he told me when things get hard, lean into the fun. Mm. And so I remember where I was on the, on the trail, I was doing it alone, which was typical. And I thought, okay, how am I going to lean into the fun? And I just, I changed the song to something that was more peppy, upbeat, fun that I liked better. Um, and I, I, and I turned it up and I just made the music so loud in my head that there wasn't really room for any other dwelling on negative thoughts of, gosh, this sucks. Why am I doing this? Everything hurts. Yeah. I mean, you know, because sometimes that's life. Sometimes that's life. And so just to to find ways, no matter what the unpleasant situation is, to just lean into the fun. Mm, that is so good. And something that I don't do very often. So thank you for that. Because I'm the one to most likely, not most likely, to sit in my feelings, think about them, think about not thinking about them, and never really arriving to a place where I've kind of sat through something. So I'll escape into, as you said, like imagination or books 
and then years later process it only to realize I could have been more effective had I just sat through the hard emotions and things and I just kind of sit in it as opposed to go out and chase something that's the opposite. So how interesting of just two worlds. You're existing in the same Enneagram, but approaches are different for semi-similar reasons. Well, and fun looks different to an Enneagram 4 or an Enneagram 1. An Enneagram 1 has to do fun correctly, (laughs) which... My God, that sounds boring already. (laughs) Right? Like, no, there is no checklist, and so just, just, just being, um, being inquisitive about okay, what is fun for me? Yeah. Um, and and maybe it is reading, maybe it is writing, maybe it is you know spending time in nature, um, whatever it is, but just leaning more into your version of fun and not judging it for just because it's not someone else's version of fun. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Take the shame out of fun because it doesn't need mm. to be there. Hello. No. So how does someone of a type seven that didn't know it until last quarter of last year find herself in real estate and how fun is it? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, that is a great question. As the creator of two different um, pre-licensing schools in the state of Utah, um, a lot of people have a massive misperception about what real estate is like. And they watch, bless their cute hearts, they watch a 30-minute episode of HGTV and they, they think, wow, you know, they, somebody, an agent takes out a buyer and they look at three homes and they make an offer on one and it's accepted and they close on time and under budget and with all the the repairs and, the, and it's beautifully staged. And by the end of the show, unicorns are farting rainbows across the lawn and everybody is just holding hands and, and singing Kumbaya and everything's happy. That is not... Though and that is not the way it is. There it is fun, but it's also I I full out tell people who are looking to get into real estate, it is the hardest thing you will ever do in your lifetime, mm. besides being in a long-term committed relationship and parenting. Yeah. Because you're taking sales, which most of us talk about personality, were were taught um, or or came to believe somewhere down the line that sales was ew yucky. Yeah, you know we don't talk to Uncle Fred. He sells used cars. He'll sell you anything. He'll sell you life insurance, and next week, you know, he'll be selling something else. And so it's just there's a there's a bad taste in many people's mouths about sales. And yet, if if we look around whether we are listening to this in our home, in our car, or in our office, or at Starbucks, you look around at every single thing, every light fixture, every doorknob, every hinge, the carpet, the flooring, the all of the fixtures, everything was sold by someone. Mm. And 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 sales is is all around us. It's a matter of how we look at it. But to learn to look at sales and change the, our perception about sales and then add the level of compliance that is necessary so that we don't screw up the largest financial transaction someone ever has in their life, which is typically buying a home and all the emotional attachments that go with that. Um, it's hard. It is hard. And so finding ways to make it fun. Um, I mean, I'm going on 24 years in June and so, and finding ways to make it fun has been essential for me so that I just didn't say, forget this nonsense. This yeah. is crazy. I'm out of here. 
I am that poor deer that watches the 30 minutes and thinks it's great. So thank you for bringing me back down to earth. Hey, if I got, if I had a dollar for every single person who has ever called, texted, or emailed me after watching one of those shows and says, Hey, how do I get into, how do I get a license? No matter what state they're in, my house would be paid off at this time. So Yeah. yeah. And, and I get it. They make it look fun on purpose. Oh, I love people. Oh, I love houses. When we remember why we love it, why we got into it to begin with, and we keep the, that reason in front of us, a lot of the other difficult things fall in line. But just like anything that's worthwhile, there are going to be hard, hard pieces of it in order for us to get the outcome we want. Absolutely. So how did you get into public speaking? Was it something that you were always drawn to or did that find you? How did that happen? Kind of. In my church, um, growing up, they had youth um, speakers and speaking to the to the congregation in our Sunday meetings. And I, I was always very excited about that. I have no idea how good at it I was. Until, but, you know, just like anything, we get good at it as we as we do it more. And so I did feel somewhat drawn to it for a professionally, it was kind of accidental. Um, I was, I had been, I started out on the mortgage side of the real estate industry as a soon to be single mom of four beautiful girls looking for a way that I could really truly take care of them and me financially um, and give us the certainty and the stability um, of income that, that we wanted and needed. And um, after three years on the retail side of lending, I I wound up on the wholesale side of lending. I got the very first job that I um, applied for, and it was a very unique position. I was one of six government account executives for a little company some of your listeners might remember um, called Countrywide Wholesale Division. And they were big. They were number one in the world um, up until, mm. you know, before the mel- mortgage meltdown in uh, things started to fall apart for them in probably 2006, seven. Um, and so that was looking back, that could have been writing on the wall, but this was in 03. And when it was still their heyday and I was, I was, all I did was FHA and VA loans. And I found that given what licensing requirements were back then, they were so, the bar was so low that there were a lot of mistakes that were being made by a lot of the loan officers who were submitting loans. And so I decided to write a very sexy little course, great little topic, terribly titled called ramp up your purchase business with FHA. Well, at least it was specific (laughs) about what it was. And they loved it. They Mm. loved it. And I loved doing it. So which led to sexy course title number two, ramp up your purchase business with VA. Hey, we're on a roll now. And they, they loved that. And so that led to a third. And I finally started to branch out in my course titling. And that one was called how to think like an underwriter. Um, and that was an amazing course. And that started to get some traction. I got a pr- all three of those courses approved at the local boards. Um, just like with any anything that we do in life, I had someone who saw potential and talent in me and made a phone call. You need to hire her. And when I had the opportunity, I, I did knock it out of the park, fortunately. And they hired me to come back again and again and again and referred me and again and again and again. And that started the ripple effect of... Of, of doing that, not only for local boards of realtors in my own state, but then starting to speak in other states throughout the country. Wow. What is the most fun thing about public speaking? What is the most challenging? 
The most fun thing about public speaking, um, whether it's a real estate compliance course or a, a keynote that I delivered last week on strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, which I did to inter introduce them to the concept of the Enneagram, which was new for many of them. The most fabulous thing is seeing the light go on in their eyes to see the, the proverbial light bulb go off over their head where they have some kind of exciting click of recognition of something that I have said that resonated within themselves so deeply that they are going to take action or do something, or at least they see the world in a different way, which hopefully will lead to them taking action. Um, and because I'll, I believe that if we don't take action, it's just a great idea that, mm -hmm. that will die. And, and you know, it's like riding a bike once and then we don't do it again. And then we forget how or skiing, you know, it's, it's a skill that the the more we do it, the the better we get at it. And just like skiing or riding a bike, sometimes we fall as some, you know, sometimes we fall over and over again and hopefully the falls are not catastrophic, but yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, seeing, seeing, having people connect with an idea that I shared and seeing their world in a new way is the most fabulous. And I love that. The hardest thing is as I am getting older, um, wa wanting to have the energy that I want to have to go out and do all the things that I, that I want to do and still have a presence in my grandchildren's lives. Um, and, and being, you know, learning the lessons that I learned as a, as a young mom of wanting to make sure that I did not put my career before my children, I have the opportunity to learn that lesson again, or mm. prove that I've learned it differently. And because we have two beautiful grandbabies that live with us, they're five and two. And my daughter told me last week that when she filled out the kindergarten paperwork, that she didn't put my name down as emergency contact because I'm not here enough. And so just finding a walking that, that balance, uh, that balance beam of not falling one way or the other of leaning too much into my career, which I love or leaning too much into my family, um, which I love and, and trying to, to find a balance. Sometimes that can be very, very, very challenging. Yeah. And it is going back to that sevenness of, of wanting, is it just a case of you're at a buffet and every, you see everything that you want and then you pile it on your plate and then you realize, I don't know where my fork is in the midst of all of this. Um, how do you learn to balance all of the fun things you want to do, whether career or elsewise, but still making time for yourself and your people? How, how does one go about learning that fine dance? Uh, wow. I love your analogy because yeah, like where's my fork and wait a minute, my eyes are way too big for my stomach. I wanted the crab and the egg rolls and the pot stickers <laughs> and I should have some salad and the, you know, like all the things. Um, I've, I've learned the hard way over the years. My first book was about that specifically for real estate professionals and learning to, to hire to my weaknesses has been a huge, huge part then to delegate things mm. to, to the people that I entrust and hire, um, to do the job better than I could, which is also very, very important. And, and then time blocking and making sure and coloring my, my time, you know, arenas so that I can see if, if there are too many greens, that means that I'm spending too much time in my, in income producing activities and not enough time in my family, which is blue. And so just being able to have that visual, um, in my calendar, being able to see it, it has been really, really helpful.
It is helpful. And even for me, I've noticed that if a thought stays in my head, I'll overthink it. I will just fixate on it. And then kind of, it just becomes zeroed in. But if I have things out and that I write, like I put a corkboard above my desk and I just have written on <laughs> the backside of note cards for right now until I add more color there, which is coming. But seeing something out in front of you, number one, gets it out of your brain. But number two, putting it somewhere that you can see it is so beneficial. And I don't do it as much as I need to, but it's even good trying to juggle a very busy life and trying to make sure that everything that's important to you stays important. I love that. And I love the color coding. I think that's so fun. Yes. And I'm all <laughs> about, I am a seven, but I'm all about the to-do list. So yeah. And then recognizing what on this to-do list is mine to do and what can I delegate? What should I delegate? It is not mine to make my own PowerPoint slides. For example, I have an amazing graphic designer. I send all over all the, all of my stuff to him and he creates magical beauty, which is infinitely better than anything that I could have created. And my time is better spent working on other things that are mine to do that I can't delegate. Unfortunately, I can't delegate sleep or exercise. I would love to be able to delegate both sometimes. But then who's going to run 31 uh, half marathons? Oh, like, no. Come on now. I know. I Yeah, it's crazy. That was book number two. <laughs> I'm only that's right. Crazy. That's right. Running to 31. About running for the couch potato in me. <laughs> um, <laughs> my dad was a runner. Um, he did 5Ks. He did a couple half marathons. I think he did one or two marathons but just love the 5k life. What is it about running that we need to know is not as scary as we think it is? Hard work, but maybe not as scary as just putting one step, one foot in front of the other, quite literally. Absolutely. And it's not, it's not scary. Everybody listening has a body and yeah, finding ways to move with joyful intention every day is, is absolutely essential for uh, all everything and um, our heart cardiovascularly you know immune uh, all and uh, just happy feel good endorphin chemicals in our brains we deal better with stress when we have had some kind of a workout and i i go back to when we were kids when we were kids we didn't call it exercise it was play it was hide and seek and running and and tag and swimming and riding bikes and and climbing trees and monkey bars and and gymnastics and all the things whatever it was for us and and growing up in the 70s like i did you know it was everybody out on the street and until the the street lights came on and then it was time to go home and that was a glorious wonderful way to live and then growing up swimming and then we become adults and all of a sudden it's like, I have to yeah. exercise. It's like eating spinach every day. Even if you love it, it's like not very fun after a while. And so just yeah. finding ways to move with joyful intention. I did not, uh, I did not see myself as a runner. I did not do my first half marathon until I was probably, oh golly, how old was I? 40, right. It's somewhere between 43 and 45. I'd have to go back and look at the actual dates of when I did my first one, it was the energy. It was the mm -hmm. joyful enthusiasm that was there at the finish line when my oldest two daughters did their first half marathon. And I said, I declared, I want this. Mm -hmm. and, and then I trained for it and did it thinking that it was just going to be one. And you know what, uh, Michaela, it was, it went back to childhood. It went back to um, my stepmom when I would come home 
on weekends and discover some of my favorite toys had been thrown away while I was mm -hmm. gone during the week and had no recourse. And I would tell my dad and, and, you know, the trash was taken out on Tuesdays and, and, you know, now it's Saturday morning and whatever my dearly beloved item is now long gone. I discovered that I loved metals because I loved earning things that no one could take away from me. Mm. And, and that, and it became kind of a, an obsession. Um, and, and I just somehow now have run 30. <laughs> Does it get easier? <laughs> yes, it is getting easier because I have more experience and I know what it takes to make certain that I'm ready. Um, but just make it fun for me and, and find out what it is for you. For me, that means training on my treadmill. Um, where it's warm and safe and I have either heat or air conditioning, um, ready snacks and water supply that is clean and available and flushy toilets um, that are right there. And, and I don't train outside and I don't train in the mountains and I don't, I don't create, I don't train running in the snow, real, uh, what I call real runners do that. And that's not me. Yep. And there's also either loud music or a movie involved. Today, it was finishing Pride and Prejudice because I started watching that on the plane the other day and I didn't finish it. And Stop it. before I knew it, I was two miles in and I was very, very... Uh, actually, that's probably a good movie to run to. Yeah. Just because you're so involved emotionally, you just forget how many minutes go by because you're so invested. Absolutely. And so <laughs> when I want to watch something, um, when my granddaughter, my oldest granddaughter, Casey, fell in love with Harry Potter, I decided I was going to watch all the Harry Potters. And so every Saturday, I would watch a Harry Potter movie on my treadmill. And, you know, there are quite a few. Yep. Um, so it took me a few weeks, but um, I did it. I, I watched all the Harry Potters, had a, a beautiful, amazing connection with her. And I was so engrossed in the movie, I forgot what I was doing. So. That's right. <laughs> Maybe that is more of the appeal for those that don't run on snow or water or just random crazy things of get yourself a TV and do something you love while doing something you need to do, but you might not love it yet until you make the connection. Uh, thank you for that. I love it. Connect what you don't love to something that you do. And, and uh, yeah, it's like eating spaghetti and peas at the same time. You just, you know, eat a bite of spaghetti, eat a bite of peas. And sometimes I had to take a bite of both so that I could taste the thing I wanted. And mm. yeah. All did that. Well, that's how we survived childhood, right? That's right. That's right. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. So a fun day for you, what does that look like? Oh my gosh. A fun day for me would have to be at Disney World. Um yes! Disney World is my favorite. And I'm so excited to um I've taken my grand all the grandchildren that I had at that point in time to Disneyland for my 50th birthday. And then two years later for my 52nd birthday and Disneyland uh, closed one week later because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we have not been back as a family since I have been back um, with my husband and I've been back to Disney world a few times. I've done two um, Disney World half marathons there since the pandemic and it's been magical and wonderful and I've loved every second of it but yeah Disney World Disney World for me is is so magical and that goes back to a lot of people ask where did your obsession with Disney come from um, it is so deeply ingrained in who I am now but it when my mother passed away one of my dad's colleagues suggested to him that he take me to Disneyland and that it would be a place of healing for mm. both of us. 
And, and it was, and I, um, I'm so inspired by, by Walt Disney, by his visionary leadership, by his tenacity. Um, he believed in his vision when no one else did. And, and I think sometimes as, as humans, as business owners, as leaders, as entrepreneurs, as parents, uh, we, we've all felt that way where nobody, nobody sees my vision, but me. And that never, never stopped him. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I try to run my business the same way and lead my organization the same way. I love that. Do you have a favorite Disney character, princess? How do we choose? Both. (laughs) Both. My my favorite Disney character is Mickey Mouse. Um, Mickey Mouse was created after the world's worst meeting. Um, Walt Disney went uh, via train to New York City thinking that he was going to renegotiate his distribution contract and and little did he know that his partner had com- uh, his the the, dis- the distribution partner had completely double crossed him, um, a man by the name of Charles Mintz, uh, whose name has gone down in history. Um, he he thought that he had backed Walt Disney into a corner. He he stole all of Walt Disney's employees, all of them, and the rights to his only commercial success that he had ever had to date. And that was Oswald, the lucky rabbit. Yep. And when Walt got back on the train, he sent a telegram to his brother saying, everything's great. Everything's fine. I'll tell you more about it when I get home. He had nothing. He had lost everything professionally. And when his back was absolutely up against the wall, it was on that train ride home that he sketched out and drew Mickey Mouse. And, and that has just been such an inspiration to me. Besides the fact that Mickey is fabulous and jovial and positive and energetic and happy and like, hello, Enneagram 7. I was going to say, there you go. Mickey's an Enneagram 7. <laughs> Mickey, Mickey might be an Enneagram 7, but there's a, we can see all the types in him at different times and especially in all the different cartoons over the years. But I just, what an amazing thing yeah. that when my back is up against the wall is the very best going to come out of me. Um, and that's how diamonds are created, yep. you know, a piece of coal that's put under intense pressure. And, and that, that's very inspiring to me. That so really yeah, is. I love yeah, it. Mickey, I love so it. Mickey, if you could see my office, you would see all the, the Mickey mouse framed posters and there's, and this whole wall is sorcerer Mickey, because I, I collect sorcerer Mickey because he creates magic for others, which is what I, what I try to do and what I try to live by, but Disney princess, Rapunzel. I love, love, love Rapunzel. And so, so many connections uh, with, you know, the whole mother thing going on. And um, yeah, she's, uh, and I mean, her amazing singing voice and her incredible hair. Yep. Like, wow. All the things. Let's do it. Yes. I love her too, for different reasons. And it's so funny how, because of, not because of our Enneagram types, we have whatever, but it's interesting enough to know that you're coming to it from the mother and I'm coming through it being locked away, wanting someone to rescue me for the sake of X, Y, and Z, which we'll get into in another time. But I absolutely love it. I love Disney. My in-laws are retiring to Florida. They love Disney. I am going to go there at some point, if not this year, then next year for sure, be, to be my first time. So I have high, high, high expectations. I cannot wait. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Great. I love that. I might see you run in a half marathon down there. So that'll be yeah. absolutely wonderful. Yay. All right. As we wrap up, I would love to talk a little bit more about what we mentioned near the beginning, 
which was imagination and books. What are you reading right now? Or what has been something that has been inspirational to you, whether fiction or nonfiction? Oh, my word. I I love books so much. My goal is to read 60 a year. And so that is, that is so, so tough. A book that, I mean, besides, you know, the Bible and scripture uh, being so tremendously instrumental, there's a book called How the World Sees You by Sally Hogshead. And from a personality standpoint, um, that book really, really put me on a path to helping uh, me to understand myself and and ultimately did not necessarily lead me to the Enneagram, but was instrumental in helping me want to become certified, certainly, because I became certified in Fascinate first and because I just loved it so much. And having had the childhood that I did, and getting into the real estate industry, I had no idea, no idea how to brand myself. And, and that book really helps um, individuals, especially for me in the real estate industry, to be able to help individuals figure out their primary and their secondary strengths so that they know how to lead with and lean into their strengths with greater intention, greater focus, greater passion, um, and throwing my seven on top of that, greater fun. That's it. I love that so much. Books are so powerful and um, what a lovely escape, kind of like Walt Disney. We can read those books. We can watch them on TV while we're training for our future half marathon. So it all is coming together. The ultimate escape. And then there's hash browns at the end. I always run for medals and hash browns. So there's no way decadent, fabulous food at the end. Yeah. Amen. Yes. And amen. Sign me up now. Now I'm convinced. Yay! <laughs> I'll start small though. I'll, I'll start small and then work my way up. That's um, the way to do I it. Always start small. Start. I love it. I love it. So last question here for anyone that might have a type seven in their life, whether they know it or not, we all have the fun, loving, energetic, go getting folks in our lives that are after to chase the fun. They want us to chase the fun. What is your encouragement for those who have a type seven in their lives for how to love them better? Listen to their stories and not just listen to their stories. Let them make it very clear that you're listening to their stories. Um, One of my um, National Speakers Association friends, Neen James, doesn't have children of her own, but she has a nephew. And she tells the story of, like many of us do, um, you know, listening to him uh, tell about how he hit a home run or had this great, fabulous day at school or whatever. And she's got her phone in her hand and she's distracted. And yeah, honey, that's really great. And he grabbed her face and he said, Aunt Neen, listen with your eyes. Mm. That's how you can show an Enneagram seven love is listen to their stories, listen with your eyes so that they can see that you're really, truly connected to what they're saying, even if it's long and even if it's detailed and um, that that's their love language is being able to, to verbally um, express and don't, um, don't diminish their dreams. If they've got crazy dreams of becoming an astronaut or president of the United States or whatever it is they want to do more likely than not, they will find a way to do it or at least believe in their dream. Um, water the flower. Um, even if you poop on the flower, that will turn into fertilizer for a seven. Um, yep. But yeah, just. <laughs> I love it. We're going to find the fun in all of it. I am overjoyed by this conversation. I have the energy now 
to run a half marathon. I'm going to do that in my mind and not my body because I'm oh so not prepped for that. Um, but we'll have a conver- different conversation when I might run a mile. Let's it. start with that. Let's, you know, one mile on top yeah. of <laughs> I love it. Cheryl, thank you so much for your time um, in talking with me about seven type sevens, your life. What an incredible story. Thank you for sharing it. It definitely matters. And what an inspiration you are to the world. Um, And thank you for letting us in to your world today. Oh, well, thank you for the invitation, Michaela. It's been a joy to be here and so much fun. Thank you for listening. It would mean the world if you would follow this podcast, rate it, and review it for others to see so they can begin their own journey and understanding that their story matters. Did you know I'm also an Enneagram coach? To learn more about how it can have a lasting impact on your story, head on over to my website, MichaelaElizabeth.com, or send me a message. I cannot wait to connect with you.